Father God, we, we know you have your hand on all things, and we thank you for doing uh, in our lives and being answering our prayers and watching over us. And we just, uh, we just want to lift up uh, David Masterson for this coming Sunday. And we just want to ask you to be with Jerry for this, uh, this whole Thank you. 
result of the one man's sin, the judgment follows one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of the act of righteousness was justification that brings life to for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the disobedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added to that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It sounds like this section is repeating itself, but it's really not. So that was the difficult part to kind of parse out. Uh, again, this is an experience of all of us through what Christ has done. Chapters 3 and 4, before this, maybe 2, 3, and 4, showed that we were all lost. We're at a point that all sin, fallen short of the glory of God, and could not, we could not redeem ourselves, could not do anything. And so then, um, along comes Paul, who has in his hands the Roman church, the church at Rome, I should say, at the time, which was Gentiles and Rome, and Jewish people. And he's now trying to break open the, the, the traditional paradigms or the, the, the setting concrete attitudes from the people so that they know that it's not the law, as we kind of had back and forth on this. It's not the law. It's not even circumcision, as in the previous chapter. It's not um, the situation where um, in part of this comes in 18 and 19, where it's not everybody that's saved that Jesus died for all the sins of the world, but not everybody will be saved. So, so what is Paul really saying here? And, and this is broken down into five basic, um, we'll call them parallelisms before. The better word for it, there's actually five different uh, contrasts. And these contrasts first pop up here in the statement of, therefore, because of this, and the how much more. There's five of them. And to make it simple, when I listen to, actually, John MacArthur, I have to cite him on this, because John MacArthur kind of 
broke this open. It's all there in some of the commentaries, but he pulled it together in a nice form with the contrast, these sides of parallel. There's a difference between Adam and Jesus Christ. But because the Jewish people had figured that they were automatically saved, that how salvation worked for them was they held the law. They carried the law. They had internalized this thing of a sign. The sign was actually, as I was corrected one time, uh, the circumcision was the sign of the covenant, the agreement made between the Jewish people and God, not a sign that made them saved. So, Adam and Christ. And so when we look at this, I'm going to go through the contrast first and maybe back up on some of the other, uh, the other things. The verse 12 begins as the most extensive and important theological appropriation of Adam to begin with that Paul ever has in his letters. It's the, he has used Adam here. Why Adam? Why not Moses? He's making a point here. He's going back to a point before there was the law. Before there was the law, and it, it, there's a little bit of a disconnect in this. Uh, it says, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. But, he says, nevertheless, death reigned. Everybody died because of sin. Sin is no question of what Paul's saying here. Everybody died because of sin. Sin caused death. I mean, that sin was in the folks from Adam to Moses. There was no law. So what was the law for? And so that was that begins the many statements. The law was there, and we've heard it before. It's a mirror that you look into and you see your blemishes. Your you're doing wrong. No one had any uh, sin, so to speak. Question mark. Was it because they were calling it sin? It was disobedience. And so, by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. So the, the concept was because Adam disobeyed God, that is a command, not a law. It was a command. And none of them, and Paul's saying here, none of them had any law here. They only had command. There were several commands. Remember, in the Noah's days, they had the uh, human mandate that came out of the rainbow situation. The human mandate was there should be no shedding of blood by man, by or by man their blood will be shed. In other words, capital punishment. That came into play. That was a command by God. Through Moses. I mean, through Noah. Through Noah. Oh. Through Adam, the command was to obey God. So the commands were here. Death was a result. And because people had this nature, they did sin. That's what it comes down to. They ended up being sinful too. But there was no law. So what did the law do? Back to the statement. What did the law do? The law 
did another thing that made it very clear. And I think you'll get this when you kind of pull this together that the way MacArthur said it because it was very poignant. The, the law simply had God telling the people what was wrong from all the thou shalt's you know the thou shalt not be envious, steal, lie, all these things. These were obvious uh, to the casual observer, so to speak. But, stop for a minute. I didn't bring this as an apple, but I'll use it. If he took the apple when she shouldn't have, that one sin caused death for everybody. God did not like sin. One sin was important enough to God to cause death for everybody. He was serious, deadly serious, if you will, about the one sin. And that's where Paul is in his first few chapters. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of glory. So now what? So now what? And this is the good part. This is somewhat good. Then he goes through the contrast. He begins to show us Christ's work and what Adam did. They are not equivalent. They are contrasts. They are not the same. They're different. And and uh, this was rather nicely done. So I'll try to not mess this up and get you the first of these as we go through it, I think the point is one sin. Now, let's show the other side before we go much further. By one, and this needs to be said, think of it this way. One sin caused death of everybody but two people. Remember? Enoch and Elijah. All have sinned and will die except for one person who is sin. Christ did not sin. But die. And that's where the devil lost it. He did not see that coming. Through death of a righteous man in this great fountain of hope comes to us. And that's what Christ did for us. He did. I've said it. I don't know if this is true, but he had to shut off all the healing power he ever had to allow himself to be put to death. He gave his life, and we read that statement. Uh, but God demonstrates His love to us. God, that He, that Christ gave His life for us while we were sinners. God demonstrated his love. He didn't put him to death. He's not a mean guy. By his mercy, he brought Christ. And Christ died for us so that we could have salvation. Hard to see sometimes. But in this whole process, then, the very first one of these contrasts is Adam and Christ's effectiveness. The work, these are all ease. Effective, I'll just read them down to here a little bit. Effectiveness, um, 
extent, efficacy, a little different than effectiveness, essence, and the last one is energizing force. I'll start with E. And I'll start with saying that the first one is effectiveness. Not as the offense where men died, but as a free gift in grace for many. They are not they are not the same effectiveness. Why? Wherefore, this is the wherefore how much? Wherefore Adam did the sin. But Christ did much more. What was that much more? Adam had a one-dimensional effect of death. But Christ, his act is multidimensional. It's much more, much more, as Paul says, the effect of justification, the effect of righteousness, imputed righteousness, the effect of salvation, the effect of eternal life. I can go on and on. This is all God's attributes. And this flood of mercy, this flood of effectiveness to the humans, before that, the question is, how much of that did they have? Salvation wasn't there yet. They did this much more. So the grace added to give us much more where one sin caused death for all. So the effectiveness, again, how much more? A lot more we have from Christ in this contrast of Adam's not giving us. But sin is not taken into account. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. It's still reigning. He didn't mean that it only reigned then. It's still reigning. And even over those who did not sin, he's not meaning that exactly. He's saying that didn't see the law and know what was required by the law. They knew better than that. They knew what was right and wrong by breaking the command. See, the command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of one to come. In other words, through a man's obedience, Jesus came as a man. As the obedient man, it had to be. Christ gave him uh, his son this um, um, time to search for the word for this but he made him as a man 100% man 100% God but as a man he followed the law he obeyed the law he obeyed God's intentions on all his commands and he was obedient through the law, and also obedient to death. If he was righteous, he may not have had to die. In fact, the thought is that if he was accepted by the nation of Israel, he'd go right on living and ruling and reign as the king, the last eternal king. But they did not accept him, did they? So he had to suffer God as the two guys on the road to Emmaus did not understand why he didn't take over and straighten everything out. They got a lesson from Jesus and that lesson was, no. Let's go back over the scriptures here. Isaiah 53 
And let's look at all the things that had to be fulfilled, had to be done. And therefore, through all that obedience to the law, he fulfilled the law. And they allowed them to put him to death as a sacrificial lamb so that everybody who believed in him could be resurrected to life. So, one man, death came, and the other man, Jesus Christ, life came through death. As, as Isaiah says so many times, it's not hope, it's not judgment, it's hope through judgment. He took our place from death. What we were destined to suffer so that we may live those who believe in faith in Jesus Christ. So this contrast is this this first one of effectiveness, this is all God's attitude to attributes more than just a repair. We look at 2 Timothy 1. command. It didn't take a lot of 
didn't do much. He just didn't do the right thing. The one right thing. That's Adam. Right in this efficacy that and, and let me just back up a little bit where Adam caused sin through disobedience. Remember the statement Satan made? The comment that you will become like God. You will become like God. Just, just look at the example that God said you should not partake of the truth, the fruit of good and evil. How much more? Because Jesus asked, we all reign with him in life. We all reign in him with glory. But we don't become like God. Like Adam thought he could be. We reign with him. We are in the judgment seat with him. We are to be alive spiritually, which is something I think another dimension here was in. We have life more abundantly, with quality as priests, as kings, as judges. We never perish. Never. How much more? Just to become like God, possibly. But God said you will surely die. And so instead, you will surely die. So the efficacy, the effectiveness, the the desired effect. It's interesting how subtly close some of these concepts are, but they're so far apart. They're totally different. God's character is in all of this, and it's it's revealing. I wish I could bring it out more, but I can't. It's just there's just so much more to that than I can even explain there. But you know, heaven, you will not have sorrow. Will not have uh, the desire to be like Satan was to rule over, to take charge, and run the show. We will be, we will be servants, like Jesus said. We will be the greatest among you will be servants to all. So this whole concept of God's attributes comes out of these contracts. Four. Contrast between Adam and Christ's essence. You might say you didn't have anything to do with Adam's sin. I think that was a new one for me. Never thought of that. You didn't have anything to do with Adam's sin. You weren't there. You couldn't control it. You didn't have anything to do with this sin. Well, you didn't have anything to do with Christ's work either. That you've heard Jerry say so many times, it's not our work. You had nothing to do with Jesus' obedience to the cross and his death and his righteousness. We didn't. It's a comparison almost, but it is a contrast. It's a contrast, nonetheless. We didn't have anything to do with either. I know that sounds like a comparison. But here John MacArthur brings that out as a you know, contrast, a serious contrast. Do we have a choice? Sure. 
are you doing? I said, I'm behaving myself. They all laughed. And I think that's something. But you know what? Um, so I'm not getting that done either, you know? <laughs> but it's fun to say that. There is a lot of truth in this. This essence comes out of verses 18 and 19. Um, by one man's sin or disobedience, sin, death entered the world. And by one man's righteousness, all men are saved. That's where the universe of salvation is sometimes picked up. Taken out of context and not really put in perspective. And there's plenty more there to deal with that. But this is the area of this essence. Sort of removes, see how that subtly removes us from the sin of Adam and removes us from what God did. And so, hey, we're all saved? Nah, doesn't work that way. There's, there's something about many are saved. And Paul makes this clear by saying the many are saved. Not all. He, he's saying, let me just say it this way. This extrapolation does not work here of the universal salvation because Paul is using a literary device and saying all meaning the all who are affected by what Adam did. That's all of us except we know didn't die yet. They will eventually. And all in Christ who are affected, the believer, by what Jesus did, as already explained contextually in chapters 3, 4, and 5. As we brought through this 3, 4, and 5. We have all been saved through his work on the cross. So, um, by what Jesus did, as already explained, and I say, see, First Corinthians um, fifteen twenty-three. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So he makes it clear in other verses, but he's using a literary device when he says all. He wants them to understand the comparison and contrast. He wants them not to lose what we're comparing here. So, the essence, in a nutshell, is this. The essence is like Stafford's stanza in the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me read it. And listen to these words. So how do we fit into this essence? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My, with my soul, it is well, it is well. We can only praise. 
only seen here in Galatians 2.4 is translated Canaan beside. The purpose was to show that even though sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. The Jewish part of the Rome congregation would have been jolted by this remark that sin
Why would we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And we in Christ now will also raise from the dead? Why is that true? Because we have evidence. We believe by faith. I mentioned faith this whole time. Faith is a key thing always. This faith. Why do you I didn't see it because I wasn't there? But I believe. Not because my aunt and uncle told me about Jesus. But because of experience. Share that experience. And the last part of this to tie this together. When Jesus was on that road to Emmaus, that was an amazing story for me here recently. He was walking along. He didn't go to the disciples. He didn't go to the apostles. He spent three years with them. He didn't go to them. He resurrected, and that same day, he found two guys, their heads downcast, going to Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. He opened the entire scriptures up in seven Mild. That's probably all they Well, it came down to the evening when he got there for them. And he says, Oh, you slow of the heart. Listen. Let me go through all of the scriptures and explain this story. What was the story? It was his story. It was his testimony. It was what was going to happen to him. And so, well, we thought he would redeem Israel. Oh, is that delicious? Redeem Israel. He didn't say, ah, oh, I thought you were going to be the head of Rome, you know, and take over and expect this whole mess. No. Redeem Israel. A little different story here. That caught Jesus' attention. Redeem Israel? No, I had to die to redeem Israel. So they were there. They had been seeking him. And you will find people seeking God, like Jesus. Can't make him out. Don't have the right theology. Paul spells this out so clear I can't understand it. But you may not be able to explain that theology, but your piece of the theology may be just the moment and the right timing for that person. And where will they run? They run back behind closed doors. And who showed up? with them when they left Emmaus and went back to Jerusalem and was inside. It was inside. Closed doors, Jesus showed up and went back to Jesus. But before that, what did the two guys, Cleopas and the other guy, or his wife, something that might be his wife, told their story about meeting Jesus to the apostles. Now the apostles weren't looking for a dead body, were they? They were looking for someone who was alive. Because these were eyewitness guys. Cleopas and the other had seen him. And they were saying in Noah's service, the women, I know the women should have been listened to. I, I get that. But they weren't ready to listen to, they listened to Cleopas. And he said in no uncertain terms, our hearts burned when he opened the scripture. And they told their story. Now the apostles were in the right point. Jesus entered and said, Give me a fish. I'm hungry. And talked to him. And what did he say? Say before he left. He opened their minds. 
just like he opened the minds of those two before he broke the bread. Look at scripture. He opened their minds to them. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit will do in opening the minds of someone you give your testimony. Jesus will take it the rest of the way. Thank you. 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 Thank you.